to, to be here and to be able to share a few things that are on my heart um, from Psalm 23. So that was the song that they just sung, was Psalm 23 from uh, John Foreman. It was a song that I was listening on repeat yesterday as I was just practicing and getting ready for this message and writing. That's something that's just been resonating through my heart, just that message of the Lord being a shepherd. And it was reminding me of um, being on a farm. I know I'm like from the city, so it's been a long time since I actually spent time on the farm, but I'm actually from a small town that's in a farming community. So Hepburn, Saskatchewan has a grain elevator in it, and everybody moved there because of that, that it's a farming community, that farming is actually deeply embedded in who I am, even though I've been in the city for the past five or six years. Uh, and when I look back at Memories of the farm. I don't know who else has memories of growing up, either growing up on the farm or maybe grandparents or great-grandparents where you spent lots of time on the farm. Nobody in this front row. Um, so let me just share a couple stories. I remember when I was younger, uh, maybe the safety regulations weren't the same as they are today, but I remember spending time on my grandpa's farm and we would just pick all the potatoes every year, plant and pick. And I remember when we'd just drive them from the potato field right back to the farm that me and my cousin, we would just sit in the front of the, like the bucket of the front end loader, the tractor, and we drive across the yard, um, which I don't know if that would be okay now. I'm like, God, would I put Lucy in a bucket of a tractor and just let her go? Hi. Yeah, probably. It, sound, it was just too much fun. Um, and I remember being, I don't even remember how old I was, but I was pretty young when there was a magpie nest right next to the house of my, my grandparents' house. And it would obviously wake them up every day. So he's like, we got to get rid of this nest. So I remember he just gave me and my cousin hockey sticks and went loaded that thing all the way to the top. And we were just knocked down this. There's no birds in there. It's okay. It was just this nest uh, that was really bugging him. Um, and I spent a significant amount of time on a farm as a farmer. Not like a normal farmer, a bee farmer. Not beef, bee like the buzzing bees. I spent four summers of my life in between college to pay for college as a beekeeper. I remember my first day on the job, uh, we go out to this bee yard. So there's a bunch of these hives and these bees. And to prepare, you put on the bee suit. So you put on this bee suit, and I felt pretty epic putting this thing on. It's like full coveralls that cover the entire person. Then you put on these massive gloves that go on. You duct tape the bottom to your shoes so bees don't get in there. Then you have this hat and veil. And I just like remember being thinking I was so cool walking in this thing, like any space movie ever where somebody puts on the space suit and walks slow motion to the spaceship. That's how I felt walking into the bee yard until I looked up and once you open these hives, there's like millions of bees flying over my head. Uh, it was like, first it started off, hey, I think I'm really cool, to I am terrified. Uh, I don't know if I want to come back tomorrow. Uh, and I went to bed. I remember going to sleep and closing my eyes, and all I saw was bees and buzzing, and I got no sleep that night. And it got worse and worse as you continued to get stung hundreds of times. I remember one sting. I was driving the truck, and this bee decided to climb up my nose and sting me in the inside of the nose. And I don't know, like instantly my eyes are watering. I don't know you, that feeling that you get when you blow up balloons. 
uh, like too many and your jaw just starts to hurt. Like that was all of a sudden happening and I like pulled over to the side of the road as I'm just weeping from this bee that stung me in the nose. It hurts. Um, but there were many things, even though there were some difficult things, there was many things that I enjoyed about it. In the summer, we would extract all the honey. So that was like the busy time where you're just extracting honey and you're getting rid of it. But I worked there in the spring and in the fall as well. The spring and the fall were the seasons where you actually tended to the bees to make sure that they're healthy. Every fall, we would wrap them up because we live in a cold place with winter. So we would insulate the bees all winter long so they would make it through the winter. Um, But... A lot of stuff happens to the bees over winter when the beekeepers aren't tending the bees. Uh, It can be too cold and a hive can die. Uh, A bear can come and destroy them. Um, There's many things that happen and there's uh, insects, like little insects and diseases that they can get as well. So every spring we would open up the hives and we'd be like, oh, this one's weak, but this one's strong. And we'd share pieces of it that we would medicate the bees to make sure that they don't have these diseases, that they were strong and healthy. Uh, that the lives of the bees were actually dependent on uh, the beekeeper and how well the beekeeper knew the bees. My first year working there, Ian, my boss, he said, you can tell that a hive is healthy or unhealthy just by the way that it sounds, just by the buzzing. And I was like, well, that's made up. It all sounds the same to me, and it all sounds terrifying. Um, But it was true. At the end of the four years, you were actually able to go to a hive, open it up, and you could tell if that hive uh, was healthy, if it had a good queen, if it had a bad queen, if it had no queen, just by the way that it sounded. Then you were able to help that hive out just based on the sound of the hive, that the quality of life of the bees and the production of the bees all depended on how well the beekeeper knew the bees and how well the beekeeper took care of them. This morning, we're spending time not talking about bees, but talking about sheep. I didn't have any real sheep stories, so I threw in some bee stories um, that I think they, they work together. And we're just spending time in Psalm 23, uh, just at the beginning. I got a verse and a half. That's it. I remember when Matt asked me, he said, hey, can you preach on this? I'm going to give you a verse and a half. And I was like, that's it? That's all you're giving me, a verse and a half? I need more material than that. And then as I spent time in there, I said, I was thinking just even that first little section, I think I could preach on that for a month as I was spending time. There's so much that's soaked in there. So let's read this together. Psalm 23, starting, well, just one and just the beginning of verse 2. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. So shepherds, this imagery of a shepherd and God and who God is is based in a shepherd. When we spend time in our Bibles, we see it all over the place. And I was curious. I was like, I wonder when was the first time that somebody called God a shepherd? And as I was looking, uh, it's actually just right in the book of Genesis, in verse 40, or in, in chapter 48, verse 15, this is Joseph speaking, and he says, The God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. That the imagery of God as a shepherd was there right from the start. And I thought there must be something just significant in the life of a shepherd that they could see that God is like that. 
that God is like a shepherd. And I went through the Bible a little bit and looking at some characters. Who are some characters or some important characters who were shepherds in the Bible? Or those who tended flock and looked after flock, whether it was sheep or other animals as well. And it didn't take long just to flip to Genesis 4, and you have this story of Cain and Abel, where Cain took after, looked after the grain, but Abel looked after the flocks, and when he gave an offering to the Lord that his was accepted, I don't think it's because, um, I don't think it's because of what they gave. I actually think it's the, the heart of Abel in his offering that was, uh, that was pleasing to God, that there is something about the heart of a shepherd that understood the heart of who God was. When we look a little bit further, just a few chapters down, we look at the story of Abraham, Abraham was a man who had so many uh, animals under his care in his flock that he was one who would take care of them and watch them and eventually even had hired hands who looked after his flocks. That's how many he had. Um, And God used Abraham, this man who looked after flocks, uh, to to start a nation that would be a blessing to all nations. When we flip to the next book in Exodus, we have a story of Moses, who was this prince of Egypt, that he grew up in Egypt in that whole system that was way at the top, that he was one of the top dogs. And when he noticed, hey, there's something isn't right here, and he wanted to make a difference, um, but he did it in the wrong way and fled for his life. Uh, when he fled for his life, that he actually worked under his father-in-law as a shepherd for years. And while, while he was tending his flock and being a shepherd, God called him out of that wilderness, and he called him to be somebody who frees his people from slavery and leads his people. That God, even when we look at the Old Testament, God was using shepherds and those who tended flocks all over the place. I was like, there must be something special about shepherds. Um, and that leads us to David. David, who wrote this, this psalm, that he was a shepherd. From a young boy, uh, he spent time as a shepherd. And David, something that is well known about him and a phrase that is used to describe David is that he is a man after God's own heart. And I have to believe that that being a shepherd really led him to this place where his heart was after the same things that God wanted. So when David was a young boy, he was a shepherd. While he was a shepherd, he spent a significant amount of time with his sheep. That it wasn't just a nine-to-five job that you'd check in and check out. That it was something that you spent every single day and night with the sheep. If you wanted your sheep to be healthy and to thrive, it was something that was day and night. That they would actually sleep next to their sheep to make sure that they were out of harm's way. That it was an extremely, extremely difficult job. And just like the bees, the sheep's lives were dependent on how well the shepherd took care of them. If there was a shepherd that didn't really care about the sheep, um, that was just just looking for a quick, I don't know, money or something like that, that they didn't actually care about the sheep, um, then these sheep would turn out to be malnourished. That these pastures that are supposed to be green would turn brown and leave them hungry and thirsty. Uh, that they can't fend for themselves. That they actually need somebody to help them out. That's what's amazing about sheep. That they are pretty useless without a shepherd. 
that they need a shepherd to walk with them, to care for them, to be there with them. And this is what David did, that he was one who was a shepherd who took care of his sheep, even to the point that a good shepherd is willing to risk his life for his sheep. And David did this. We have a story in Samuel where it talks about David and his life as a shepherd. And there's, it says lions and bears. I don't imagine that this was all at the same time that lions and bears just started coming. Um, but there's instances where there's a lion and a bear that came after David's sheep. And instead of like looking and running the other direction like a normal person would do, he actually runs into danger that he takes the sheep from the mouth of the beast, and when the beast turns on him, that he actually kills the beast. He kills a bear and a lion fending for his sheep, and I know when I was a beekeeper, I would definitely not do that. Um, And I'm just amazed by this heart that he had for these sheep. Uh, when it came time for Israel to get a new king and for the, yeah, for a king to be anointed, um, Samuel went to Jesse and looked at his sons and, and Jesse kept giving him son after son, starting with the oldest son, because you'd think, well, he's the oldest, he's the strongest, he's the wisest, that he is the one who's going to be king. And, and Samuel looked at each person and he said this, that, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And he went by seven brothers before he got to David, this little young shepherd boy, and said, this is going to be the next king of Israel. There must have been something about his heart. Later, David grew, and he's still shepherd. He was still a shepherd, not shepherd of sheep, but a shepherd of men. Right away, we have this story of David in the Bible and leading this army that he is leading these, uh, he is being a shepherd to these men, this army. Then he's got this mighty, the three hundred, the mighty men, and he's leading these mighty men. And eventually, even though he was anointed a long time ago, eventually he was king. And while he was king, that he shepherded Israel, he shepherded the nations, he shepherded uh, God's people. But what I find amazing in this psalm, something that is just Uh, that David must have just really got it, is that he changes the language, that he is the one who is used to being the shepherd. He is the one who is in charge. He is the one who is always watching out. He is the one who is always looking for the needs of others, that he has always been the shepherd. But there is a change of language in this poem that I think is just amazing, that he changes it from him being the shepherd of his own life to him being the sheep. David spent time with sheep. He knew how helpless they were, that they needed somebody, that he actually put himself in that place to say, I'm at the mercy of God, that I need his help, that I need his support, that David found his true identity. He found out that his true identity wasn't being the shepherd, wasn't always being the one in charge, but his true identity was a sheep under the care of the Lord as shepherd. So as I was reading this, I just thought, what would it look like in our lives? I don't know about you, but I'm somebody who likes to take charge and be in charge of my life and maybe sometimes other people and just take charge of situations. But what would it look like for me to say that the Lord is my shepherd and just delight in that truth and just rest in that truth? Next, we have uh, the passage that goes to, I have 
all that I need. So the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. There's other translations like the NIV that says, I shall not want or lack nothing. I do not need. David understood this, that if the Lord was his shepherd, that he will not, that he has everything he needs, that the Lord is the one who provides. And when we look at the life of David, we realize he did not have an easy life, that he went through difficult times, that he went through trials and tribulations, that his life was on the line multiple times, that his life wasn't easy, that it was difficult, that he had struggles, that he experienced pain. But in the middle of even experiencing that, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's like, wow. When my life gets difficult or there's trials and pains and struggles, that's when I actually turn and I'm like, I've got to ramp up my leadership and I've got to get in there and I've got to change things. But David was able to recognize, no, I can't, but the Lord can. And he trusted, he trusted in the Lord. Three weeks ago, I had the privilege to go to Mexico uh, with some of these students in the front and some of the, the leaders in this group. And it's always a highlight for me. I get to do this every single year, and this is the fifth year that I went. We have a team picture uh, that we can throw up there of the Mexico team. Um, yeah, really incredible and amazing people. And I'm still like processing all that happened and the ways that God moved and worked on that trip. But we pack a bunch of vans, we drive all the way down to Mexico, and we partner with an organization that partners with the local church that decides who gets these houses, and we build houses for families in need. So in the span of uh, five days while we're in Mexico, we built eight houses. So again, just give a round of applause to these students and people who are here who built these houses, that it's an incredible, incredible thing. But even as, we're, as I'm having conversation and I'm talking to youth about this trip, one of the things that they keep saying is the biggest impact was to see the situations that these families were living in, these difficult situations that these families were living in, and yet this hope and this joy that they had. I want to show you a picture of Louisa's house which was a uh, lady who we had the privilege of getting to know and build this house for her. When we got there, uh, we heard a little bit about her story. Um, and she had an extremely difficult life. I mean, talk about trials and tribulations of somebody who she had 11 kids and only has three left. Uh, one, um, I mean, there's twins that I think she really has in contact with, and one uh, was or has been in jail for seven years, and even one of these kids even has addiction. Uh, that she had a house on this property, but this house, her husband or ex-husband, the guy's completely out of the picture, but before he left, he lit the house on fire, and then he left, and left her with that. Um, and this... I've been there five years, and I think this is one of the, the harshest, one of those things that actually just hits me deep of just looking at this living situation in this house. So this is her house of a box spring, and it just tarps uh, that covers, and that's where, where she lives. And then there's the next picture is where her, uh, with her sons live. Um, and yeah, just looking at the situation that usually we go to some houses and they already have a house on the property, but their family's so big that they need another house. But this one just hit me hard. Uh, and when we looked to her, she said something that I used to be somebody who is so filled with joy, but these things ha have happened in my life that they've actually just sucked the joy out of me. Um, 
And uh, Sam, Pastor Sam, when he's on the trip, he's going from house to house, person to person, and just sharing the love of God. And I just love Sam for that in his heart when he's serving in those communities that people were searching for Sam, that they were looking for him uh, to pray for them and to tell them about Jesus, that he does amazing work while he's there. And with Louisa, that he was actually able to lead her to the Lord. He was able to lead her to the Lord uh, on this trip. And while he was doing that, at the end of the trip, she said, I feel like my joy is being restored, uh, that I'm becoming this new person. That you could even just see in her face that she, uh, there was something changing about her, uh, that it was the Lord. Uh, and I just have a picture of just the house at the, well, they're almost finished, but the house at the end, and she's just in the middle in the, in the, blue, in the blue shirt. Um, but what, what is amazes me, or what amazes me about this story is that their life circumstance, the life circumstance is so difficult. The things that they're, we, for us from uh, Canada, we go over there and we see, wow, our housing situation is so different. But then we don't just see the houses, but we hear the stories and we hear the heartache. And then we realize, and, and to hear this, where my joy is being restored and she's coming to the Lord, that her life was changed because of Jesus. And it wasn't based on her life circumstance that her life circumstance was difficult, uh, that it was painful. I can't imagine what she, she went through, and yet she said, my joy is being restored. After a life like that, I think it would be incredibly difficult for your life to be restored and your joy to be restored, but it was happening before our very eyes, and it's just this amazing, amazing thing. I remember when I was, in, uh, when I was 16, when I was in high school, I got to go on a trip uh, like that, but I went to Nicaragua, and we were going from house to house, and I remember going to one house, and we were supposed to tell people about Jesus, uh, which is funny, because then they would just turn it around and tell us about Jesus, uh, and this guy's house was just sticks and the uh, tin and boards just put together. There's tons of little kids running around. I don't even remember how many. There's tons of little kids running around, and this guy's love for life was so incredible that he he was a sugarcane farmer. He like just gave us sugarcane. He gave us food. He was like, take whatever you need. And we're like, no, we, we have everything. And, but the thing is, he was just content in the Lord and that not in his surrounding circumstance. And there's a handshake that he gave that I will never forget that there is this strength in his handshake. I don't know why you just remember those things. I don't remember the guy's name, but I remember a handshake to find out later that this guy with all these little kids who had all of this, like this land that he was farming, he gives all credit to God that he was 80 years old. Uh, and he had this handshake that was stronger than mine. I was like, ah, like, he's probably stronger than me. At, at 16, you take pride that I'm strong, and I was shown up by this 80-year-old um, who gave all this glory to God, and I was hit. But it doesn't matter about your life circumstance. When you say that the Lord is your shepherd, that you are just, like, there's, there's something that not about this material or things on earth, but there's something greater and this blessing greater that they, they have received Every morning that we're in Mexico and on the way to Mexico, if anybody has any, spent any time in a van with Trent or myself, we listen to three songs over and over um, every single day. And one is The Last Night of the World by Bruce Coburn. And Matt has preached on this before, so you might have heard this line before. Um, but this kind of just sums up that feeling and that way that we feel in that moment. So Bruce, in this song, he says this. I've seen the flame of hope among the hopeless, and that was truly the, heart, the biggest heartbreak of all. That was the straw that broke me open. That when, it doesn't matter about your life circumstance, but when we have Jesus, there is hope even in a hopeless situation. And that just breaks us open every year that we go to Mexico. It hits me every single time. Um, and I'm here in North America 
uh, always looking for the next thing, the next thing, always trying to move forward. When I spent time as a beekeeper, we had bee yards right next to uh, a cattle field. And when the cattle field, when their grass, you know what, their grass, they'd eat it up, they'd eat the grass, and then they'd look over and you could just watch them. They're all standing along the fence and just looking at the next pasture that's greener. And they just want it. And some of them stick their heads right through the fence and they're eating. And others, I don't know how they do it, they find a way through the fence, around the fence, over the fence. I mean, if they can jump over the moon, they can jump over a fence. Uh, And they're going to the greener pastures that I find that I get stuck in this trap where I am always looking for the next greener things that I'm looking. And I say this phrase in my head, the grass is greener on the other side. The grass must be greener. So instead of dealing uh, with my life life circumstances when they're difficult, I just look to the grass being greener. We spend so much time as people looking either on Instagram uh, or Snapchat that we're looking at these people who are rich and famous, who have a better life than ours, or so we think, and we think, if only I had that life, then the grass would be greener. Or we spend time at our jobs and we think, oh, life is so tough. I don't have enough money. If only I had this job, then all of my issues would be solved and the grass would be greener. That we even look at people in our workplace to say, hey, I want that person's job. That we actually wish ill on other people so that we can have that job, that we can have that money and the grass will be greener. Or we go home to our houses, but we look across the street and we see the house that our neighbor has and we're like, oh, this house is so crowded. If only I had that house, then the grass would be greener and everything would be okay or that car or if, you know what, my family life is really tough and really difficult. If only I had that family, then the grass would be greener and all of my issues would be, would be gone. We are people who continuously look for the greener grass, but when we get there, and I'm speaking about myself as well, that when we get there, we realize that the grass isn't as green as we hoped it would be. And, and don't get me wrong, that I think ambition is great, that I think it's really important to look forward, to move forward, to set goals, to jump, but I think there's a difference between uh, setting goals and ambitions and not being content with where you're at. That I think it's okay to be content with what we have, but push forward and move forward. But when we aren't content, when our hearts are stirring and our minds are stirring, when we continuously try to jump to the next thing, that grass isn't greener. And we keep looking for more and more, and we get caught in this rat race called life. But there's got to be a better way. There's got to be something. And that's why I love this last section I'm going to be spending time in. Uh, It says, so the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want, and the, the NLT says, he lets me rest in green meadows. There's other passages that say, he makes me lie down. I almost like that, that he makes me lie down. He lets me rest, he makes me lie down. And I kind of want to combine the both. Uh, he makes it so I can lie down um, in green pastures. That, the, that when we actually just trust and we say these words that David said, that we're not just the grass is not always greener, but when we actually say the Lord is my shepherd, then he's the one who actually leads us to green grass, where we will always have enough, where we will never run empty, where we are completely and always taken care of. The grass is never greener unless God is the one that leads us to green pastures. When I was doing some more research on this topic of sheep, again, I wasn't a shepherd. The only 
the only story I have with sheep is when I was in youth, we did this amazing race where we went from place to place and you had to achieve a goal before you got to the next place. And I remember we went to this sheep farmer's house and we had to, somebody in your team had to go and run and wrestle a sheep and then bring it back. So I was that person. So that's my only story of sheep and I didn't know how to relate that into the story. So um, I did research on sheep to get a better idea than just a teenager running to get your sheep for a goal. Well, I was doing research on sheep lying down. So this passage, he makes me lie down. Well, I was doing some, yeah, some more research in this book, and it's a great book, and if you're looking for something to read a little bit more on Psalm 23, it's by Philip Keller, and I was reading the Shepherd, Shepherd Trilogy. And in this book, he says, sheep don't naturally lie down. Sheep don't naturally lie down, and there's a few reasons for that. Uh, number one, they don't lie down because they're afraid. They don't lie down because they're afraid that their only mechanism for escape that it was to run. That was it. Whenever danger came, they, couldn't, they, didn't, they don't really have teeth or claws or anything. They're, again, they're a complete mercy of the shepherd that their only uh, defense mechanism was to, to run. So they were afraid, afraid of those who might kill them. I think their sheep are basically at the bottom of the food chain. It's sheep and then the grass they eat. Um, so whenever somebody would come or something would come like a coyote or a fox or a dog or bears or lions that we hear in this story, their only choice was to run. And if you're lying down, uh, that might mean the split second between life and death so they don't lie down when they're afraid. Sheep also don't lie down, number two, when they have conflict. When they have conflict with one another. I didn't know this, but sheep work on a hierarchical system that there's like the top sheep at the top, and then it goes down, down, down from there, that the top sheep, whenever it wants its area or wants that food or wants that area that you are resting in, that it will come and run up and just headbutt you. Um, so apparently sheep just headbutt each other for territory, for gain, and it's always the top sheep that gets its way. So if you are somebody who's younger, who has conflict with another sheep, or maybe you're trying to move up in the system and you've got conflict with that other, with that other sheep, that they don't rest because if they're lying down, they are prey to get rammed. Um, but they've always got to be up and alert. Another reason that sheep don't lie down is when they're bothered. When they're bothered by insects, flies, bugs, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm camping or outside and there's mosquitoes all over the place, you start just lighting those, whatever those candles are that keep bugs away, or you just douse yourself in DEET so nobody is coming, uh, get the off bug spray going. But the sheep can't do that. So when they're bothered, they don't rest, but they keep moving around from area to area. And another reason that they don't rest is hunger. When they are hungry, they're just like me, that they get hangry, and they just can't rest. Right before bed, maybe some of you do that, I don't know, um, but you're like in bed, you wake up, you're like, I'm hungry, I can't fall back asleep until I go downstairs to the fridge and open it up and just eat whatever's in there. Then you can finally rest because you've been filled, but sheep don't rest when they're hungry. So in this analogy of God being the shepherd and us being the sheep, I thought, what are areas in our lives that are keeping us from lying down? What are areas in our lives that are actually keeping us from rest? And maybe it is fear. Maybe not fear of uh, predators, but fear of not being good enough. Maybe there's the fear that I have of failure, 
that I'm afraid of failure, so I keep trying to do more and more and more and more, so I never rest because I don't want to be a failure. Maybe you, maybe it's conflict. Maybe you can't lie down because you have conflict. Maybe that's with your, your family, your friends, that you were in an argument or you said something or something happened in your life that you just can't let go of, can't forgive, that you're lying in bed, that you just finished having an argument, that you're just thinking of ways, oh, I should have said this, I'm going to say this next time, and you're just looking for ways to one-up that person. Or you have conflict, not even based on what somebody did, but you have conflict with other people because you want what they have. Like we talked about the, the greener pastors, that there's jealousy and anger that can come in when you think they have the life that I want and you're not content and you're not resting uh, and you can have grudges with other people. Maybe you're somebody who uh, gets bothered, that you're bothered by the things that are going on in life, uh, that you feel like you've been dealt a really difficult hand. Um, that you're just looking for ways, and I know about you whenever there's, know about myself, but whenever there's things uh, that are going difficult in my life, I always just look for ways to fix it. How can I fix it? How can I change my situation? How can I do this? And I'm bothered by this, this mess of life, and we're bothered even when we hear the things on the news and the tragedies that happen, and we're just bothered and wonder, how can we make a difference? How can we do something? And we can't rest until everything is solved. Uh, and for me, um, one of the big things of why I can't rest is, is anxiety, is anxiousness. Um, that I'm somebody that has an anxious heart. That that's just some, but somebody who I am, that's something that I, that I deal with. That there's little things in my life that I turn into big problems and I lose sleep and I can't think. And that, or I can only think about that one thing and to the point where, you know, I just, I just feel like I'm a shadow of myself because I'm stuck in this trap of anxiety. And I know that that is something that is big in our world. I've been chatting with students. It's exam time for university students that it's something that brings anxiety or grade 12s. I'm always in conversation with grade 12s who are so anxious. What am I supposed to do in the future? Right? I don't even know what I'm supposed to, like I don't even know what I'm doing next week. How am I supposed to plan my entire life that we are just brought to this point constantly with anxiety? But when we look at the analogy with a shepherd, that the only time that sheep actually lie down, the only time that sheep actually rest is in the presence of their shepherd. If there is a good shepherd present, they know that the shepherd's going to take care of my fears, that he's going to risk his life for my life, that they can actually rest in the presence of the shepherd, that they understand that conflict, that the shepherd is actually the top dog, so when he's around, everybody else listens, that the sheep are being bothered by insects, but the, sheep, the shepherd brings bug spray and other things to get rid of these bugs, and the good shepherd leads them to green pastures so they're not hungry. That when they're in the presence of a shepherd, that, that, they, that they can actually rest and lie down. I strongly believe, as I'm looking into this, that we have a God that is a good shepherd that he is the one who can actually make us lie down. When I even just look at this anxiety and stuff that goes on in my life, when I look at God, I see somebody, oh yeah, I can recognize right away that God's actually got these things covered. Not that it goes away completely, um, but there's times where I can say, hey, this is actually something that's really small, that's not worth all of this thought and anxiety. It's only when I start to focus on something other than the problem that the problem starts to become smaller when I actually focus in on the good shepherd who has things for me. 
that we can rest in the presence of a good shepherd. When we flip, so I said that this analogy of a shepherd goes throughout the whole scripture, goes throughout the whole Bible. When we look at Genesis, it's there. When we look in the New Testament, it's there that when Jesus was on earth, he said, he said this, he said that I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In David, we saw an example of some, a shepherd who would risk his life. In Jesus, we see an example of a shepherd who actually gave his life for us uh, so that we don't have to experience the same kind of suffering, the same kind of pain, those trials, those tribulations, uh, that he is the one who actually says, nope, that's not the final answer. The final answer is life and resurrected life, that that is the good shepherd that we have, that right after in... Um, Right before, actually, so in John 10, 10, it says, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. That God came as the good shepherd so that we aren't just occupied by these things, that we aren't troubled. Um, but when we say the Lord is our shepherd, and not just the Lord is our shepherd, the Lord is a good shepherd. When we say that the Lord is a good shepherd, that all of those things that are going on in life, uh, it doesn't matter our circumstance, but when we actually look to the Lord that we find freedom, and that's what he wants to give. He wants to actually give us life. He actually wants to give us that freedom. It's a statement that is completely life-changing. When, when we say that we are tired of being the shepherd of our own life, I don't know about you, I feel, I feel that all the time. This is a prayer that I continuously say that, Lord, I want you to be the shepherd of my life. I've tried being the shepherd of my life, but it has only led to more pain. It's led to more struggles. It's led to more anxiousness. That it, All these problems that I thought that it would solve that it didn't solve. Uh, and I constantly need to remind myself that we have a good shepherd that I can actually just trust in and live in to say that the Lord is my shepherd. So what would that look like for you this morning to say that the Lord is my shepherd? When we say that the Lord is our shepherd, we find out really quickly that our life circumstances doesn't, they don't matter. That when we look at uh, Luisa in Mexico, and I'm just reminded of that, that her life circumstance was difficult, but yet she found joy in who God was. Because God actually filled her, this, this life that she felt drained from her, and this joy was actually filled up again when she said that the Lord is my shepherd, when she was walking through that with Sam. And I believe that the same things for us, that the Lord is going to be there, and he's going to be there with us, that he understands what we're going through. And in that, we will, find, we will find rest. When we trust in God, we will find rest um, in areas of our life. When, in the, when there's areas in our life where we feel hopeless, I truly believe that hope will come. In areas of our life where we feel anxiousness, that I believe that, that peace will find a way through. In areas of our life where we feel afraid, uh, courage will be there. In areas of our life where we feel lost, his love will find us. In areas of our life where we feel tired, and exhausted that we will find rest in Christ. So I just want to, I'm just going to pray something, and I want you guys just to, if you're feeling that, if you're uh, feeling that, oh, I'm just so tired that I've tried to figure out life on my own, and I just can't. Uh, I just want to pray, I just want to encourage you just to give it to God, uh, that when we give our burdens to him, that the burden is light, that he takes it from us. So I just want you to 
pray with me, and I'm praying this for myself, that I truly want the Lord to be my shepherd and just to take these things away. And if this is uh, your first time hearing a message like this, I just encourage you as well that that is what it means to start this journey with Jesus, to say, I'm tired of being the shepherd of my own life. I'm tired of being the Lord of my life. And it's actually just saying, God, I want you to be the Lord. I want you to take care of it, that I don't want to be stressed out by these things, that you have got me covered. So if this is the first time, this is what it means to start a relationship with God, to say, hey, I don't want to do this alone, but we believe in a God who's good. He's a good, good shepherd that makes sure that we always have greener pastures, uh, that he can walk through those things with us, that we don't have to be alone. So uh, I'm just going to pray. The band's going to lead us in another song. Lord, I just want to thank you for these, these passages of Scripture that are encouraging and uplifting. Uh, that I know that the weight of life can often be tough. It can often be exhausting. Uh, that we try to take control of our own lives to find out that the grass isn't as green as we thought it would be. So Lord, I just want to surrender my life uh, and just give it over to you. So uh, Lord, I just want you to be my shepherd. I'm tired of being my own shepherd. And when I, I recognize that you are my shepherd, I shall not want and you make me lie down in green pastures. Amen. As I'm just reflecting, I'm so glad that we don't have to do this journey of being sheepish alone, that we actually have a community, that we have people around us, uh, that when we are a community, he says, yes, I just want the Lord to be my shepherd. That doesn't mean that things are just going to be easy right away. It doesn't mean that things uh, are all these problems are going to be solved, but it's this big lifting and it's this hope, but we can actually do this journey together. So at the end of the service, um, right, right now, we're actually going to invite the prayer team up that if there are some things that are going on in your life that you're just, you just want to say, Lord, I just want to invite you into this situation. That I don't want to invite you into to my life. Then I just want to encourage you to talk to somebody in the prayer team that that's what we're here to do together, to encourage each other to walk through in this journey and relationship with the Lord together. Again, I am so glad that we don't have to do this alone, that there is a greater hope that we can have life in the full with God because he is the good shepherd. Amen? Yeah, that's good news. That's something to celebrate and to cheer. Um, so just close with me as I just pray these lines that we've talked about this morning. Uh, for the next three Sundays, we're going to continue this series and hear some, some different voices to finish up this psalm, uh, that there is so much wisdom and so much life just packed in six verses. So we're going to come join us next week to learn more about Psalm 23. But just join me. Um, if we can, even put that back up on the screen and let's just read this together. Yeah, just say this as a prayer as we move from this place. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. Now let's go with that hope and that peace. Amen.